Well, good morning. How are we doing today? I'm happy to be here. Pastor Mark called me some weeks ago and I said, man, you must be getting to the bottom of the barrel. You must have had a lot of refusals for somebody to come. Take your Bible and turn with me to Song of Solomon this morning. Thought I'd do something a little different. I was chatting with Pastor Mark. I said, what have you been working on? I've been doing a series in Song of Solomon. I said, what? Have you lost your mind? Oh, you ought to be grateful, I trust, for your pastor. He's such a faithful teacher of God's word. You are, you are blessed, folks. I just tell you, you're blessed. I've never tackled Song of Solomon. Don't, in, don't intend to. I'll, I'll stick with stuff that, you know, is simple. Talk about Jesus, you know. Just keep it simple. It's great to see you this morning. Great to see you this morning. Take your Bible and um, just move over from Song of Solomon, okay? And let's go to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5. Let's suppose when I got in my car early this morning... I turned the key and nothing happened. Good news is we have two cars, so I wouldn't be totally out of, you know. But I go in the house, I say to my wife, I say, you know, a car doesn't want to start. She says to me, why don't don't you get it washed? (laughs) I said, dear, whoa, (laughs) You, you don't understand, it doesn't start. You see, we understand that it's very important to understand and diagnose a problem before we endeavor to find a solution, right? Because you know, and I'm I'm no auto mechanic, but I know that washing the car will not fix it if it doesn't start, okay? You know, we're not always that rational. We... We will endeavor to apply certain solutions that won't fix the problem. That won't fix the problem. You need to understand the problem first, okay? Otherwise, you can spend time, energy, effort, and money and not not get any, any improvement. Luke gives us the big idea for our message this morning and simplifies it, and it's found in Luke 5, verse 31. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. And you want to mess with a physician, just make an appointment someday, go in, and the doctor, first thing they're going to ask you is, what, what, what kind of issues are you having? And you say, I'm not having any. Are you having any pain? No. You having any discomfort? No. Why are you here? Why are you here? Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners to repentance. What I want to 
share with you this morning is needy people who have their problem or their need remedied and the result, okay? Uh, there's outlines in the back. If you didn't grab one on the way in, you go and grab one now, it's fine. But what I wanna do is in Luke chapters four and five, and by the way, do you, do you know Luke's profession? Who's a physician, a doctor. Luke wants to paint us this picture of several people who are sick and how Jesus meets their need. Now, I want to show you several briefly, show you the pattern, and then I want to go look at one in particular in depth. You with me? So we're going to look at several briefly, and then circle back and hit one. And I'll just give you a disclaimer right up front. None of us can relate to the people we're going to meet this morning. It's just, but it's kind of good information to stick in the back of your mind. But none of us will relate to any of these people. So let me show you several examples briefly first. Go back in chapter 4 to verse 33. And, and you're insightful people, so you'll notice the problems or the needs rather quickly. I won't have to belabor this too much. Verse 33, chapter 4. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. Is that a problem? Oh, you're quick. This person doesn't have control of their life. They're dominated and possessed by an evil spirit. The solution is Jesus. And notice in verse 35, Jesus says, be quiet. You come out of him and the demon threw him on the ground and he came out, and I love this, part of, part of the result, uninjured. Boy, when Jesus, when Jesus heals, when Jesus touches, they're made whole. He's made whole. I love it. He had a problem. Couldn't fix it. Nobody else could. Jesus comes. He speaks. The result is made whole. Simple. Go down now to verse 38. Second one. Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes to Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering with a high fever. How big a deal is that? Well, in that day, high fever probably, probably cost her her life. High fever. And she's suffering. I know none of you can relate to suffering. I mean, if a sermon's a little long, that's really not suffering. Anybody here ever had any pain? Had any pain? Okay, maybe, maybe two of us. Good. You're a strange bunch, only two of us, willing to admit it. Pain's no fun. Chronic pain's no fun. She's suffering. What's the solution? They asked Jesus to help her. By the way, before you ask somebody else, ask Jesus. Save you some time. Save you some time. Now, if, if you're able to fix it, go ahead and give it a shot. But otherwise, ask Jesus. And, and the solution is Jesus comes 
and he bends over her, verse 39, and rebukes the fever. He rebuked an evil spirit. What happened? Came out. Rebukes a high fever. What happens? It's gone. She's made whole. And I love the result of this. What's, what does she do after she's made whole? She serves. I love that. You know why she serves? Because she's grateful. Here's the thing. There's, there's times in our lives where we're not able to serve. We should take advantage of the times when we are able to serve and serve. Because the day might come when you're not able to, and then you're going to wish you could. Third example, chapter 5, verse 12. See if you can discern the need here. Jesus was in one of the towns, and he came, came along who was a man who was covered with what? Leprosy. Now, you and I aren't very familiar with leprosy. It's a big problem. This was deemed to be the epitome of unclean. Contagious, and you were to have no contact with a leper. And to ensure that you wouldn't have contact with the leper, here's what they were required to do. Everywhere they went, as soon as they saw somebody, other people, they were required to loudly proclaim unclean. Stay away from me, I'm unclean. Stay away, I'm un unclean. Unclean. I was here early this morning, hanging around out in the foyer in the lobby out there, and I didn't hear anybody holler unclean. Now, maybe you didn't take a shower this morning, but, you know, we're, that's relative unclean. Nobody came in this morning and depressed. Depressed. Stay away from me. This, this man cannot have contact with anybody, family, friends, children, spouse, no contact, live outside the city, totally alienated and isolated from society. Has he got a problem? Yep, big one. Can you relate? No, not really. Not really. What's the solution? The solution is, verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and did what? Touched him. You know what that does? That makes Jesus unclean. Jesus touched him. Probably the first time he'd had any contact, physical contact with another human being, maybe for years. Maybe for years. I'm so glad that Jesus is willing. I'm so glad that you notice here, the man said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I'm so glad he didn't say, I don't know, I have to think about it. He was willing. He touched him. Solution, the touch of Jesus. And what's the result? Immediately, verse 13, immediately, the leprosy left him. He's made whole. 
Jesus rebuked an evil spirit, gone. Jesus rebuked a high fever, gone. Jesus declared, be clean, he's whole. You, you see a pattern here? Verse 17, another example. Jesus is teaching, and verse 18, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat. What's a paralytic? It comes from the word paralyzed, means you, you can't walk. That's why he's being carried. You see a problem here? You see a need? This man can't go anywhere independently. We despise dependence, generally speaking, don't we? I, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I don't want to ask for help. We despise dependency. You, you, you do recognize that we all came into this world totally dependent, right? You, you, you are aware of that. And the likelihood of us being back in that state before we leave this world, there's a probability of that as well, right? But, but in between those extremes, we've tasted some level of independence, and we prefer that, okay? My kids, my kids used to have a book, and, and the title of it was not exactly one of the virtues we wanted them to adopt, but the title was, I Can Do It Myself. And, and there's a stage in life where we were encouraging do it yourself, you know, because I don't want to tie your shoe anymore. I don't want to feed you. You do it yourself, right? But, but there's another part of life where that kind of sense of independence can be detrimental. It can be detrimental. So these men bring their friend to Jesus and Jesus, like you and I, quickly recognizes there's a, there's a need here. And so Jesus tries to help them learn something that the spiritual is more important than the physical. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Why did he need his sins forgiven? Because he's unclean. Can you imagine his friends? They go to all this trouble. They bring him to Jesus. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they said, no, that's not what we want. That's not why we came. We, we, want, you, we want him to walk. We're tired of caring for this guy. Jesus says, well, yeah, I'll get to that. And Jesus speaks, and the man gets up, and he walks and the result of all of that is what? Notice verse 25. Immediately he stood up, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Did he have reason to be grateful? Oh, my goodness. Oh. Verse 26. Everyone was amazed. Everyone was amazed. And they gave praise to God, and they, they were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things. Yes, you have. Need, solution, result. See the pattern? Let's look at one more. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out 
and saw a tax collector. Unclean, unclean. Levi the tax collector. The reputation of tax collectors in that day and that culture was what? We hate you. You cheat, you lie, you take our money, you cheat, you lie. We hate you. They were despised. Despised and hated. What's the solution? Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Follow me. Verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. You relate to any of these people? All needy. I mean, they sure have needs. They sure are needy. If you had to pick, if you had to pick one of these four or five that I've just shared with you, which one would, would you, if I got to be in somebody's shoes, I'd pick that one. Which, which one would it be for you? Probably, probably not the leper, right? High fever, likely at the point of dying. Nah, I don't like that option. Paralytic? Uh, Levi? I don't relate to any of those. Relax. This sermon isn't for you anyways. I just came. Pastor Mark said, I, you know, could I come? I just come, talk about some nice things. I'll leave you out of it, okay? I know better than to mess with you. You're all fine, happy, everything's good. Just leave us alone. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now we have something that doesn't fit with the pattern at all. Doesn't, doesn't fit. <laughs> no big deal. But let's give it a shot. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Don't miss that. This is intentional. There's purpose here. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now there's purpose here, right? You know that when it comes to acoustics, water helps. And so Jesus has a reason. Might be another reason. We'll get to that. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. And Simon said, what? What? Master, can, can I clue you in? We've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. However, because you say so, I'll do it. 
By the way, there's a very important principle here. Don't miss this. When it's clear that God is asking you to do something and you don't understand why, just do it. Just do it. Because if, if, you, if you do what God says, you will put yourself in a position to at some point maybe understand why, but you will put yourself in a position where God could teach you something. If you don't comply, you will miss out. Side note, okay? Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners to come and help, and they came and filled both boats. So full, they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. I am unclean. Unclean. Man with an evil spirit, unclean. Man with leprosy, unclean. Peter says, I'm unclean. Go away from me. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, his partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. You've got good reason to be afraid, Pally. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Does Peter have a problem? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Peter is the focus here. Unlike most of the others, Peter doesn't initiate. Peter doesn't have anything visible or obvious that screams needy. But Jesus knows, and he deliberately gets into Peter's boat with Peter and says, let's go fishing. Now, what does Peter do for a living? Peter's a fisherman. You, well, how many of you know somebody who's into fishing? I mean, not cat, I mean into it. Okay? Man, they are into the details. Have you noticed? They got these boxes and they got these hooks and sinkers and I mean, y'all, y'all have a problem. And they will spend hours, hours planning, preparing, driving distances, outfitting everything to go fishing. And when they come back, they want to tell you a story. They want to tell you a story, right? Peter says, um, do you understand what you're asking here? You're pretty good at teaching, Jesus. That, that was engaging. You know, you can really work a crowd. That was really cool. That was really cool. You don't know a thing about fishing. If you did, you'd realize the ridiculous nature of what you're asking me to do. How long had Peter been out fishing? All night. All night. Do you know why they went at night? 
Not because they're stupid, because they knew that was the best time. And Jesus said, Jesus said, um, deep water, right? Put out into deep water, verse 4. That, you know what Peter said? You have no clue. Wrong time of day, wrong place in the lake. I'm a professional, out all night. How'd he do? No. No. You ever notice how fishermen, people into fishing, women, Lord love you if you're into fishing too. They exaggerate things. You didn't bring anything home. Boy, they were biting. You know, they're giving you stuff that you, you and I could never verify. You can never really tell any story they want. Peter was out all night. Right time, right place, all the expertise. How'd he do? He got nothing. He got nothing. You know what Jesus could have said? You know what Jesus could have said to Peter? Peter, why don't you just put an F right up here? Failure. Because you were out all night with all your knowledge and expertise and your skill. And how'd you do, Peter? Huh? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> how'd Peter do? He didn't do so well. Jesus said, let's, now here's, don't miss this. Jesus says, we're going to go out for a catch. If you look at this word in its original form, here's what it means. It means to the point of sinking. <laughs> what would be a good night for Peter? Well, we did pretty good. We got bushel, two bushel, I don't know, right? Jesus says, Let, let's, you put down your net. Wrong place, wrong time. You're going to fill the boat. Do you know what Peter's thinking? This makes no sense. You know what Jesus, you know what Peter is conveying? Something you and I would never convey to another person. He was conveying, I think I know better. You, you would never convey that, would you? Okay, I don't know a lot about auto mechanics. You, you criticize me in preaching? How much have you been preaching? Peter's an expert. Peter's got experience. Peter knows the ins and outs. And Jesus said, we're going to go out and fill the boat. And Peter's thinking, Peter's thinking, this is a very dumb idea and wasting my time because I'm already tired. I let you use my boat. Why don't you stay out of my business? You see a problem here? I do. Can't relate to it, but I see it. The real issue here and the real problem is Peter's pride. Can't relate to that, can you? I think I know better. By the way, go back and read Genesis 3. You'll find that same attitude. God said, don't eat from that tree. I think I know better. 
Notice Peter uses the phrase, the term, the title in verse 5, master. If we did this word association thing, I say left, you think right. I say up, you say down. I say master, you say slave. I was, I was not a, a compliant child. And I had a perplexity as a young child to pester my parents because I was, I was always asking why. Just, just why? Why? Eat your vegetables. Why? Let's go here. Why? Why? I think to some degree my father got a little weary after a while with it. And, and so one day I asked why about something. I, and, and he said, because I said so. It's like, I'm not going to explain it to you. You probably wouldn't understand. Just do it because I said so. Peter's attitude here, master, I'll do it because you said so, but I sure don't understand it, and it's a dumb idea. There's a proud heart that says, I know better. You come into my realm, I know better. I can't relate to that, you? Thought like that never entered my mind. Of course, I don't always tell the truth either. So Jesus, the solution here is an experience with Jesus. This is purposeful. There is intention here that Jesus gets in the boat with Simon, tells him what to do, and verse Verse 6, when they had done so, what happened? Let me show you the pattern again. Jesus rebukes an evil spirit. What happens? Jesus rebukes a fever. What happens? Jesus tells a leper to be clean. Jesus tells a... What happens? When Jesus speaks, it happens. See that pattern? Jesus said, we're going to get a catch of fish. How big? To the point of sinking. Did Peter believe it? Not a chance. I know better. This is, this is ridiculous. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem. What do you do when that happens? By the way, can you imagine... This experience compared to every other time in his life that Peter went fishing. Can you imagine how this compares? This is no doubt, no doubt, the ultimate that could ever have happened to fishermen. It took very little time. They went to the wrong place at the wrong time of day and immediately filled two boats full of fish. It can't get any better than that. Now, I'm a little perverted at times, and if I had been Peter, the first thought that probably would have come to my mind was, we need to be partners. <laughs> this would be awesome for business. I'm, I mean, look at all the time and effort I could save. I was out all night. This happens in relatively seconds. <laughs> 
the ROI on this is much better. That's return on investment. Peter experiences ultimate success. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that we are a culture that craves, worships, and strives for success? We all want to be successful. We all want to make a name for ourselves. We all want to be winners. Winners. Please write this down. This, this is a key to this passage. The ultimate became insignificant. Greatest night professionally of his career. The ultimate became insignificant. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is accomplishing our view of success. That could be the worst thing that could happen to us. Can you envision, can you envision this in a very pragmatic, physical way? Here's Peter in the boat, puts his net over thinking, dumb, 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 dumb. All of a sudden he feels the weight, something in the net, begins to bring it up, they tug it, finally get it into the boat, and the boat starts to sink. What do you do? Hey, Peter. Is this boatload of fish the ultimate experience of your career? Is it worth drowning? Is it worth your life? Because if you don't do something quickly, it's a bit of a swim. Do you understand? Do you understand that Peter, at that moment, has very limited options? One is jump out and swim for shore. If he does that, what happens to the boat and the fish? If he's going to stay in the boat and keep the boat, you know what he has to do? He's got to throw fish out. You see any irony in that? I sure do. Here's what I've been striving for. Now I have it due to Jesus, and what am I going to do with it? Throw it away. The ultimate became insignificant. You know, we got to be careful because if we focus on success and get it, that could be a big problem. I'll give you a couple of examples. Evelyn Adams made lottery history when she won two multi million dollar New Jersey prizes. Total in 1985 and 86 when she won. The total was $5.4 million. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but that was back in 1985 and 86. However, Adams couldn't get out of her own way. She gambled. She gave many gifts. 
made some bad investments, and according to Forbes, Adams blew it all and moved into a trailer. Nothing against trailers. I've lived in one. It's, it's a, but $5.4 million. Gerald Muswagen, a Canadian, turned a $2 lotto ticket into a $10 million jackpot. $10 million. 2011. By the way, it's not that much really, is it? $10 million. He bought a house that became a nightly party spot with many hangers on. He bought cars, partying, gifts, legal entanglements. By the end, he was doing manual labor for low wages on a farm to support his girlfriend and six children. Seven years after his big win, he hung himself in his parents' garage. Hung himself. Let me give you one or two more. Jack Whitaker in 2002 won $314 million. <laughs> it, at the time, was the biggest lottery prize in history. But he gave money away, donated to churches, diner waitresses, strangers, and a local strip club. His life turned to turmoil, and according to ABC News, his wife left, his house burned down, he lost a daughter to cancer, a granddaughter to drugs, and in 2020, Whitaker died at age 72. $314 million. One more sad story. Five years after Kentucky resident David Edwards won a $27 million jackpot, within five years he was penniless and lived in a storage shed with his wife. Lifestyle of the rich and famous. They squandered their fortune on so many of the usual things, high-end cars, houses, even bought an airplane. He blew through $3 million in the first three months. By the end of the first year, $12 million was just gone in the wind. By 2006, the couple had spiraled into drug addiction and just 12 years after the win changed the whole course of his life because David Lee Edwards died alone and broke in hospice care at age 58. We crave success. We want to be known. We want to be winners. By the way, it's typified in our culture in athletics these days. Athletics, sports today, it's become so idolatrous. But let me tell you why I think it's so contagious and so popular in our culture. Just my theory, just let me vent for a couple minutes. One of the reasons I think 
is because we feel entitled to share the glory. We feel entitled. So we say, how'd the game go last night? We won. Who's we? Did you play? Did you go to practice? No, but my team won. How do you take credit? What, what did you do to help the team win? Oh, I cheered. Really? Way to go. Good job. And what if they lose? We feel entitled to share in the glory. Secondly, we are free to criticize without any responsibility. Man, that, that is not a healthy thing. Shouldn't have made that play. Shouldn't have thrown that pitch. Should have substituted this guy. Yeah, you're the expert. Yeah, you know better. It's easy to criticize after the fact, and you have no accountability whatsoever. We love doing that. There's a part of us that loves doing that. Because you, know you know what we convey when we do that? You know what we convey? I know better. Peter, I think I know better. Third reason is that our loyalties are temporary. The team loses, find another team. I mean, who wants to get stuck with a loser? Find another team. Let's look at the results. You, you see the need? It, it's big. Peter is really sick. He is really sick. He thinks he knows better than Jesus. He is really sick. And he himself declares, I am unclean. Yeah, buddy, with your attitude and behavior, yeah, yeah, you're very unrighteous. By the way, until we see Jesus clearly for who he is, we don't see ourselves very clearly. We don't see ourselves. When Simon saw this, go away from me. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Peter was exposed. How's he going to deal with it? You know, there are some of you here this morning. It's not visible. It's not overt. But you have a need. And you don't want to be exposed. Exposure is the best thing that ever happened to Peter. That's the best thing that ever happened to him. But you know what keeps us from wanting to be exposed? Is our pride. Make no mistake. And it's deep. And we are sick people. We don't relate to the leper. Oh, <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Paralytic, too dependent, can't have that. I think Peter is the sickest of all of them because he doesn't realize his own need. It takes Jesus in the boat to show him his need. I have good news for you. Jesus wants to get in your boat. He came and died on a cross and said, let me in your boat. And that's really good news. 
Because you don't have to be unclean. You can be forgiven. Verse 9. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. By the way, let me assure you, they were more captivated by Jesus than the fish. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, we're going to do a reversal, Peter. Peter, you've been giving your life. You've been giving your life to catching fish that are alive. And then what do they do? They die. I got a new plan for you, Peter. Why don't, why don't you work with me to catch dead people and help them live? The ultimate became insignificant. And what happened to the fish that Peter caught and his buddies? What happened to those fish? They went to shore. They left everything. What happened to the fish? Well, there's only a couple options. Somebody came and took them, or they died. They turned to rotten fish. But Peter decided and his buddies to give their lives to something of significance. You say, well, Pastor Jack, you know, I have, I, my life doesn't amount to much. Would you let Jesus in your boat? Because if Jesus gets in your boat and you're willing to submit and surrender to him, he can take something that seems very insignificant and make it of eternal value. But you spend your life seeking after stuff that in the long run isn't going to matter, you're going to find out it wasn't worth it. That's why we advocate the good news of Jesus, that he came and he lived and he died. He said, I have come. I have come. What's it say in 531? It's not the healthy who need a doctor. Peter, as long as you think you're healthy, you don't need me. Do you need Jesus? Or is it just convenient for you? Are you caught up in what other, or is it, is it really what your life is about? Here's this array of needy people. Can you relate to any of them? Can you relate to any of them? Have you ever thought you knew better? Ever thought your pursuits for success were what's really important? I can relate to Peter. Because this pride thing makes me and you vulnerable for the whole of our lives. So you, you come to me after the sermon and say, oh, really good sermon, Pastor Jack. Well, that's why I'm here today. I'm here for you to affirm my identity and tell me how great I am. By the way, this isn't a once-for-all kind of a deal. Because some years later, when Jesus is arrested and Peter is confronted and said, hey, aren't you one of his followers? What did Peter do? He denied Jesus. He wasn't done. This pride thing, it's always something we have to wrestle with. But we find him in Acts chapter 2, 
preaching to people, and thousands find eternal life in Jesus as a result. But 1 Peter 5, 5 says, but God resists the proud. You know why? Because you don't need him. I can relate to Peter. And it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Part of the remedy is go have a look in the mirror and say, oh, Lord, I thought I knew better. I thought I had the answers. I thought this would bring success and significance, and it doesn't. It doesn't. Lord Jesus, help us today to humble ourselves and to be willing to admit and confess we need you. We need you for salvation. We, we cannot pay our own penalty for sin because we're unrighteous before a holy and a righteous God. And we need you because you paid the price. You rose from the dead and we can have life in Christ. But that doesn't mean the war is over because we still wrestle. We still find ourselves struggling with, I think I know better. I think this is success. This is what I want to strive for. Lord, help us, help us to humble ourselves today and to recognize who you are and see ourselves clearly. And then find the freedom and joy that comes when we truly submit, surrender, and live in obedience to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.